by watching that deer, if his, if his hair erects, you know, and stands out on end and we show pictures in the book that, of that, he's telling you there's another big buck coming. And if he, if he starts lowering his head and lowering those ears back, then he's telling you that those two bucks are in the same hierarchy. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and as this episode launches, man, we are right in the middle of November, that that magical time of year, and that means right in the heart of rut activity across across most of the country. Uh, So I hope you guys are are getting out there, getting some much-needed time in the deer stand, taking those rutcations, and and just uh, enjoying your time out there in the great outdoors. Uh, now, for any of you out here who are NDA members and you get our magazine or or maybe you're on our email list and you get our weekly e-newsletter, you're probably familiar with our Age This Buck survey that's included in, in each issue of the magazine as well as in our newsletter. It's extremely popular among our readers, and, and we always enjoy getting that interaction with you guys as, as you vote on what age you think each each week's buck is. Uh, so in this week's podcast episode, we're going to we're going to kind of help you hone those buck aging skills by talking to the guy who literally wrote the book on the subject, uh, wildlife photographer Dave Richards of Texas. Now, Dave has been photographing bucks and, and cataloging their progression through the years for over 25 years now. Uh, he put all that knowledge and a lot of that photography into a book that he co-authored with Al Brothers, who's often referred to as as the father of quality deer management, but the book's called Observing and Evaluating Whitetails, and they just recently came out with a new updated edition of the book that you can get through our website at deerassociation.com. We'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later in the the podcast, but uh, Dave is going to walk us through not only the physical features that we can use to kind of help separate those different bucks by their age class, but also some behavioral issues as well, or some behavioral features, I should say, as well. Uh, he even walks us through how we as hunters can use his knowledge of photographing these mature whitetail bucks to help us be more successful in the field ourselves. So uh, j- we just have a great conversation that that you guys aren't going to want to miss. So hopefully you'll stick around for that. Before we get started, though, this week's podcast episode is brought to you by our friends at Moultrie Mobile. Now, Man, I've been using Moultrie cameras since uh, I'm going to date myself here, but but back in the days of 35 millimeter film and, uh, you know, I think six or eight D cell batteries. So uh, cameras have come a long way in a uh, really a short amount of time. But if, man, if you haven't checked out their new Delta series of cellular trail cameras, uh, you really need to. These things have a long list of uh, high tech features, including 32 megapixel images. Um, less than a half second trigger speed and, and my favorite it's got a built-in gps so uh, you know if you put that thing out there and forget exactly where you put it or if somebody walks off with your camera uh, you can use that gps feature to help track it down so man just a lot of great features in a camera that's just a little bit over a hundred dollars retail uh, you can often find these things on sale for less than a hundred dollars so be sure to check that out and not only you know do they have great cameras but uh, they had the Moultrie mobile app, uh, which is really kind of the, the backbone of the whole system 
that has a, a lot of cool features as well, uh, including the ability to now chart deer activity by things like time of day, the temperature, and the moon phase. And you can even break down that activity between your bucks and your does. Uh, no more need to try to manually enter the, all that information into a spreadsheet and, and track it you know, on your own. It's all available right there at your fingertips now, just the touch of a button. So uh, if that's something that interests you, be sure to check out their, their new Delta Series cameras and their Moultrie Mobile app at MoultrieMobile.com. Hey, and one more thing before we jump on the phone with Dave. Uh, I already mentioned that his book's available in our online store, and that would definitely make a great Christmas gift, uh, heck, for yourself or, or for another deer hunter in your life. Uh, but there's a lot of other great items available in that store as well. So I would encourage you to check that out. Hey, go ahead and knock that, that Christmas shopping list out and uh, you know get that taken care of right there from the comfort of your home. As long as you get those orders in before December 1st, uh, we can guarantee that that they will arrive in time for Christmas. So go ahead, again, knock that, that shopping list out, and you won't have to worry about it during the month of December. So, hey, with that, guys, let's jump on the phone with Dave Richards to talk about aging bucks on the hoof. All right, guys, I got Dave Richards on the line. Uh, Dave, how you doing? Doing great. How are you doing today, Brian? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I appreciate you taking time to to come on to the podcast today and, and talk to us a little bit about you know, aging whitetail deer. Uh, it's, it's something, you know, obviously we, we've taught and preached for a long time here at the National Deer Association. So thought this would be a, a great opportunity to have, have the guy on that, that literally wrote the book on the subject. So well, but, thanks. But before I'm we, honored to get to come in and visit with you. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. But before we dive in, into kind of the meat of the topic, though, uh, if you would just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and, and maybe how you were introduced to the, the outdoors and wildlife photography. Sure. I, I was introduced to the outdoors through my dad. I mean, I grew up my family of five boys and we hunted and fished a lot. Uh, that was w- what we did for recreation and as family time and everything else and did that our whole lives. But uh, that's how I got into the outdoors and hunting uh, from the time I was a little kid, four or five years old, going and picking up dove that he shot or dragging a squirrel through the woods for him. You know, that was my youth. And as I got older, uh, got just had an interest in photography. Uh, I was the kid that we could go visit family. And instead of having a picture of grandma and all the cousins, I had a picture of a coyote's den and a bird's nest and a, and a horny toad, you know, when we came home and, and it progressed by the time I got into college, I realized that I could actually make some money with it and photographing buddies and mine's, uh, hunts and, I, I grew up in a family, like I said, where the coffee table was covered up with uh, sports of field and field and stream and Peterson's hunting. And so you saw those covers and it's like, man, I want to do that. I want to take those magnificent pictures of deer and bear and all that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of how it, it got started. And I I started, a, a, I got into the rep side of the, of the sporting goods industry and I've been a, a a sporting goods rep for many years, but I also had the photography business that was always uh, a, a part of my life as well. And it's today it's Richard's Outdoor Photography and been going uh, strong for a number of years now. Yeah. And you mentioned there when we were before the before we started recording that uh, it's it's kind of blossomed into a family affair as well, hasn't it? It has. It, it's been that's been one of the coolest things about it is I'm very thrilled that my kids 
love the outdoors. They love hunting. They love fishing. They love photography. And they're ready to go at a moment's notice. They're grown now. And one of them's in college, uh, about to graduate with a wildlife degree. The other one's off in Tennessee. Uh, but both of them love uh, photography and are taking pictures. So you'll see on our website pictures from all over the place. And it takes people a while to go to realize, hey, that's not just Dave taking pictures. How is he here and there and everywhere else? So it's really cool. And they're they're both good. So it, it, it's a great addition to what we're doing. Yeah, that, that's really cool to, to have the family involved in it. Yeah. Now, how did how did all that lead to this interest, I guess, in in aging whitetail book bucks on the hoof? Well, what happened was, is I was photographing, you know, 30 years ago and taking pictures and I was trying to take pictures for major magazine, you know, getting cover shots and writing a little bit of articles and all those kind of things. And I got, had a uh, invitation from Big Roy and Little Roy Hines to come down to their ranch and start photographing their deer. And everybody at that time, uh, that was by that time, it was in the late 80s, uh, early 90s. And every year, everybody knew that Heinz had some of the biggest whitetails in, in Texas. And so I was like, yeah, I'm happy to go talk to him and everything. And I went and visited with him and we rode around and I tell people we rode around in a truck that day. We talked about our families. We talked about their dogs. They have, they're the people that have been known for years too for their trailing dogs. And we talked about the good Lord and, uh, and we talked about their whitetails. And at the end of the day, they said, Dave, uh, you know, what we want to do, this was before trail cameras really were a, were a thing. And what they were wanting me to do is photograph every deer that I saw, no matter how young, no matter how old, because they were wanting to identify that deer at one and a half, two and a half years old. So they could let him reach his uh, antler potential at six or seven and a half years old. Uh, when he would reach his peak, I mean, the way the only way they could do that is if they could identify that deer. So all my pictures would help them do that. And I said, man, I would love to do that, but it's really hard to photograph one and two and three year old deer when there's big bucks out there. Cause if they hear my shutter, they're not, they're going to spook. And, uh, but I'll do the best I can. And they said, here's the key to the ranch. You come every time you can. And, and that's where it started. The Heinz, if you noticed in the front of the book, I dedicated it to Big Roy Hines. But and when I asked Al to co-author it with me, he said, I will do it, but we need to dedicate it to Big Roy Hines because he was the first person ever to talk about aging uh, deer on the hoof. And he was the guy that really, uh, and that's what's so cool is by photographing their deer, I had no idea until I got into it for several years. I was chronicling. And I was learning from them why, you know, they were asking me every time I saw a deer, how, you know, you know, show us a picture. How old do you think he is? What do you think he scores? Those are the two questions every time. So you got to start figuring out some things fast. And I started asking them, well, why do you think he's three and a half? Why do you think he's five years old? And so, and there was, you know, sometimes it was because of the, the body structure on that deer. Sometimes it's because they had identified him as a real young buck. And they, we've known that buck for three years since he was a two-year-old and we know him. Occasionally, it, it would be even help to see how he interacted with other bucks that they knew was a certain age. And they're like, we have pinned this age on him because his body looks this way and this is how he's interacting with the other deer in, in his hierarchy. And so that's how we're putting that on him. So again, I was chronicling what the and what happened was, is eventually I had uh, editors and stuff, I'd be showing them pictures of a great buck. And they're like, man, that's a great deer. And I'm like, you want to see him at two, three and four years old? Or you want to see him at six or seven when he really peaked? And uh, and they're like, how many 
how many of those sequences do you have? And I said, I got a lot of them. They said, well, you need to do a book on that. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm busy as it is. And I don't know about doing a book. And I, and I had three guys in the same week tell me that that were really highly respected in my life. Uh, Wyman Menzer, Bill Reeves, who was a photo editor uh, at Parks and Wildlife, and Little Roy Hines. And they said, you need to do it with Al. And uh, so the rest is history. I went and talked with Al that week. And, and he was, he was anybody knows Al Brothers, anything about Whitetail, he's like a five-year-old at Christmas. And he started looking through those pictures and he was excited. And he's like, man, I would love to do this. This is great. So uh, that's how it happened. And, and the rest is history. We spent a year, I would write a chapter and send it to him and he would add in biological stuff because I wanted it to be just more than my observations and even the Heinz observations. So it was good. Yeah. And QDMA helped at the time bring that to a whole nother level, which y'all are joined now, QDMA and NDA. But those guys helped bring that to that project to a whole new level and really proud of the fact that they helped do that. Yeah. Yeah, you may have been the original trail camera, it sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I won't claim that. But I was for the Heinz I was, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that that's great. Now, how long did that project go on? How long did you did you chronicle these these various I'm still doing it for twenty five. Okay. I've been photographing on there for over twenty five years and still do and and last week photographed what is probably one of the top five bucks of my life on their ranch. Uh, just a phenomenal deer that'll score over 200 inches and uh, just totally thrilled to have. It's been, if you've ever seen the cover of the book, uh, that buck on the front of it, I tell people is my buck of a lifetime. He scored probably 230 at his peak. We never found either shed, but we know when he was harvested two years later, he scored 216 and some change. And he was much bigger at, at two years before, but they didn't. Uh, nobody got him. And so, this buck that I just photographed last week is the after twenty some years is the next giant biggest buck they've ever had on their property, which they're t- over ten thousand acres in South Texas. So there's a lot of deer come and go over the last twenty years. Uh, but man, I you walk out of the blind after you get a photo shoot like that and get a, get a really good buck, and man, you're trembling and thanking the good Lord for uh, just an amazing opportunity to see an animal, much less capture him on film like that. It was really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine never, never done that. Never, uh, you know, do a little, little bit of, a little bit of photography playing around, but never, you know, shot specifically for, for bucks like that. But I can imagine it's, it's probably a very similar rush to if you had a bow in your hand or, or a gun or whatever, you know? Yeah. And no, you're exactly right. I tell people, that all the time that it is a extremely uh, awesome form of hunting. I realized at a really young age uh, when we when I moved back to Texas, my family moved back and forth from Louisiana to Texas as I grew up, and uh, that I would be able to photograph a whole lot more of them than I could ever afford to shoot. And so that was another inspiration to me. Was I and and then as I started capturing those images, uh, man, it, it's one thing to have to have a deer and, and a bow hunter understands because he has to have that perfect shot. He has to have that deer lined up a certain way to where he can make the perfect shot. Well, a photographer, I don't only have to have that perfect lineup where he's turned at the right angle and his antlers are turned so you can see all his tines and everything is what I'm looking for, but he has to be in the right light. Uh, but you have to know all the same things of, of wind direction and going in there, uh, you know, it, it, making as little noise and, and as little disruption to his 
living room as possible. So it is a, it's a great form of hunting and, um, love to do it, man. It's, <laughs> it is a rush. Now, do you know over those, those 25 plus years, how many bucks have you kind of chronicled during that time? Do you know their, the, their lives? Yeah. Well, it's funny because in the first, when I came out with the first edition, we had 17 bucks that I chronicled their life. And in the, you know, that was 2003 when it went to print. So those bucks had to have been photographed by 2002. And then from 2002 to 2021, I added four more bucks that, that were unique and different than what we had in the original book. Um, but those agent sequences for every one that I have, there's a dozen that you don't have. I mean, I'll get on a really great looking young buck and I'm like, man, this deer's got a lot of potential. I'm excited about it. And then you never see the deer again. He never shows. Hey, he could have got caught in a fence. He could have got killed by coyotes. He could have got over on somebody else. You know, so many different things that can happen to a deer. And there's there's a lot of them I have two years on, uh, you know, and then and then you never see them again. So, yeah, it's for thousands of bucks. I've got 21 agent sequences that I <laughs> that I'm yeah, that are real agent sequences that you can say, yeah, I got to chronicle this deer throughout most of his life. And the pinnacle one is that stickers deer. I, I covered him from three and a half to eight and a half. And at three and a half, Brian, that deer, hunters were already wanting to hunt him. He, he, they, that was the only year they found both sheds. He already had uh, m- measurements of a mature buck. His beams were already 26 inches. His mass on either side were over 16 inches. Uh you know, he just had all the measurements of what would be a mature buck, and they scored one seventy four and some change is what his what his antlers were at three and mm-hmm. a half. Well, if they'd have harvested him at three and a half, they'd have never seen that deer at two hundred inches when somebody actually got to harvest him. And that's the that's the thing. He was just uh, learned so much from that deer watching him over the years. Before we dive into into the specifics of of what your you know, looking for at these various age classes of bucks. Can you kind of give us just a general idea of, of some of the things that you're looking at on a deer to help separate them out by age? You know, not, not necessarily, I don't want to dive into specifics yet because we'll do that for each age class, but just kind of in general, what, what are you looking at on a deer to kind of start separating these ages? Sure. In general, what I tell people is deer, just like people. Number one, you can identify who your friends are. You can look at them and every one of them has different characteristics that you immediately walk up and say, that's Brian walking up. He's got a beard and a mustache and he wears, you know, and you know him immediately. Deer are exactly the same in how you identify them with color markings on their tails and on their throat patches and their, uh, their eyes and all those different things have different uh, things that you can look at a deer. And then when you add in, uh, when you start looking for differences in ages, I tell people the same thing. It's just like people. If I put a five-year-old boy out here and a 12-year-old boy and an 18-year-old boy and a 25-year-old man and a 40-year-old man and a 60-year-old man, you'd look at it and go, well, heck yeah, I can tell there's big differences in each of those. And that's what deer are. When you look at a a five-year-old boy, that's a -a one-and-a-half-year-old deer. He, he's daining, he's, you know, every feature on him small. People compare him to look like a doe. Well, I've got a lot of fat does that walk around my place that they don't look like a little kid. But it's skinny neck, long face. Uh, then you look at a two-and-a-half-year-old, he looks just like a 
young teenager kid that's 12 or 13 years old. His legs are long. He even walks, you know, gangly and can be a little bit uncoordinated. And his, his, he has no fat on him at all. His back and his stomach are straight as a board. Um, you start getting to a three-year-old. You're looking at a, like an 18-year-old man. He's not mature yet, but by gosh, he's he's showing characteristics of maturity in his body even. You get to a four-year-old, man, that deer is just like a 25-year-old man. He's in the finest, fittest shape of his life, uh, and he's mature. The muscle mass, uh, all those things look mature on him. Then it's the, you go all the way on the other side of that bell curve. When they go to five, Man, then all of a sudden you're looking like a 40-year-old guy that's got a, a, a little bit of sway in the back. The stomach's a whole lot more full. His hips on a four- and a five-year-old, his rump is still extremely rounded. We start looking at their neck and how it joins the brisket. And you, at, at five years old, that neck and brisket join as one continuous muscle. Um, when you start looking at a six-year-old, seven-year-old, all that gets more and more accentuated. Start looking like a 50- to 70-year-old man. Where, you know, and I, we talk about a seven and a half year old, the difference between a six and a seven is sometimes very minute. I, I like to see video. I like to see the deer live on the hoof is what I really like to see. Because when he's walking, he, he's jiggling like a bowl of jello. I mean, around his neck and around in his front end and all those things, you can see the ripples in the in the body and everything. He's like a lot older, heavier, fatter guy with more skin under his chin and all those things. So. Now, in order to kind of accurately age these bucks on the hoof, uh, you kind of talked about this a little bit with as far as what you needed to, to get those great shots as a photographer, but kind of what what's the best angle and, and posture for for aging these bucks in the field or, or even in a photo? Because yeah. I know we, we get a lot of, you know, buck photos here at <laughs> NBA that, that yeah. people will send us. And how old's this deer, you know? Oh, yeah. A lot Don't of times there's it? just... Yeah, there's just no way to tell because of the no. the the position of the deer. Uh, well, so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we all get those, and it's funny. I, I get them every year, and and I'll start getting them in July. And it's like, guys, the aging criteria that we talk about primarily is is pre rut uh, in the couple of weeks coming up to it, the rut and post rut. A lot of the things that we're because we're we're it's critical that we're aging them correctly during the hunting season down here. Um, so, yeah, it's just one of those kind of funny things people think that uh, and it's we tell them people right up front. It's not an exact science, guys. The the person that can. Well, number one, to your question, the best angle is multiple angles. Uh, I want to, you know, the if I had to get one shot and, and give some kind of a guesstimate and I call it a guesstimate on that, uh, I'm going to be looking at a side complete side shot that gives me the whole side angle. I can look how that neck joins the brisket. I can see how the neck joins the head. I can see the triangulation on that head. Is it long and narrow or is it shaped more like a real uh, distinct uh, fat triangle? I can look at his hips and his rump and see uh, where they are. I'm hoping it's closer to the rut where I can look at his tarsal glands and see how much staining's on them and his forehead glands. So there's a lot of things I can get off of that picture. But I, if I can get other shots of that deer, I like to look at that brisket a lot. As a deer gets older and older, that brisket gets really wide when he's a four or five years old. And then when he goes on the other side of that, it starts hanging down. And it looks almost starts looking like a, a, a liver or something hanging down there flapping in the front when you start seeing these deer, especially when they go post-prime. You look at a, 
a post-prime deer and you only get one angle on him and he isn't really, really looking bad, he's in good shape. He can look like a three-year-old deer. But if you look at that brisket and it gives him away a lot of times, like, no, that deer's over. And you watch how he walks and you see that he's stiff and, and all those things. But, yeah, you want as many shot angles as you can see. And I like to get them uh, over a period of time. And I would love to get video. I, I ask people all the time, the, the first question I ask them when they ask me, Brian, is how old is he? I'm like, well, how old do you think he is and why? Because inevitably, what the you know, you may find a guy that's giving you one picture. You may find a guy that's been watching a deer for four years. I've had that happen. The guy's asking me, I mean, the deer is completely mature. You're looking at the first picture and you're like, you're at y'all's aging criteria on your ranch is to harvest a deer at five and a half. Well, this deer, just by what you've already told me, is at least six, you know. So uh, I always want to find out as much information, but you need to find out everything about that could affect that deer's body. You know, the nutrition. Is he in a, is he high fenced or low fenced? Is have, have you had great rain this year and and that you would think that everything would be uh, you know, all the nutrition that he's getting is at its peak, or has it been a drought for the last three years like we get sometimes here in Texas? There's so many different var- what time of year is it? That deer's body's on a roller coaster throughout the year, as you know. Uh and he's pouring all his uh energy and growth into those antlers over the summer and people are sending you pictures in the summer asking you how old the deer is and it's like man you can't i can tell you these maturities are not mature but i can't put an individual age on a deer like that ever or don't even try uh but once he rubs out within a month all of a sudden everything's going into muscle mass and and he's preparing for the rut and his neck starts swelling and you show me a buck standing out there looking at me straight on and his little head looks like a little bitty dot on top of a big old giant fat neck. Well, I know that deer's not immature. I know he's not a one or two and he's not even a three-year-old. There's no way. And so, you know, those are some of the things that, that when I when people ask me, they get a double shotgun approach. I, I come at them with buckshot with all kinds of questions. They better be ready. Uh, you can't just you can't just throw out an, an individual age on a deer with one picture. And especially a nighttime camera shot, as you know, that that can really throw you off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's let's dive a little deeper then into the individual age classes here. You've touched on a lot of this already, but uh, let, let's just start out with the with the the yearling buck and kind of walk through, you know, exactly. What am I looking for to tell me right off the bat? Hey, this, this is a yearling buck I'm looking at here. Yeah. And, and what I would what I what I love about the book is I give you a two page spread right there because pictures tell a thousand words as they That's say. That's right. But it, just like I said, you look at those pictures, you're going to see number one that that buck is, uh, you know, it, he looks tiny, he looks dainty. The best thing to and and I'll go back to it kind of touches on your previous question. The best way too is when you have multiple different deer standing there. You, 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 that's why a lot of people have difficulty aging deer on their place because they don't have any age structure. All they have is one and two year old deer and a, and a, and a three year old is a giant, you know, in their mind, they've never seen a five, six, seven year old deer on their property because they, they are on small properties and they, they just don't, they're not able to control the harvest well enough to allow those deer to reach that age. So when all of a sudden you see a one year old, that's this little tiny, dainty deer that's back is straight, his stomach is straight, everything on him looks a third of the size of a mature deer. 
it's a no brainer. You see one or two of those and you're, you know, you're just automatically, you know, from then on. And of course we talked, uh, we, we explain, and we even do a two page spread in this to not use antlers as an aging criteria. And the reason that we say that is because of just like that buck that was a three and a half year old that already had 175 inches of antler because we don't want you to shoot your top end deer. The other side of that coin is, though, when you look at a one and a half year old deer, he's going to have antlers that are about the size of your finger, you know, and, and as far as the mass on it, he's he could be a spike all the way up to 10 points. I've even seen 12 points that were little one and a half year old deer. Uh, but his antlers are going to look like a little tiny, dainty uh, miniature of what you hope a deer is going to actually turn out to be, if that makes sense. Yeah, yep, absolutely. All right, well, let's uh what what about that two and a half year old? How is he going to differ from from your yearling bucks? Yeah, and again, it, man, you show a picture of a 1-year-old next to a 2-year-old, you're like, "Okay, I can see it clearly because his body has taken on probably a a quarter to a third larger in size, and yet when you look at him, he still has this straight back, straight stomach. His legs look really long. Uh, if it's during the rut, if he has any tarsal staining, a one and a two-year-old, both, it would be very, very light. That tarsal gland's not going to be, they have no forehead gland to talk about at all as far as when these bucks get more mature and more active and they're doing a lot more rubbing and everything, that forehead gland really starts showing up in a four, five, six-year-old deer. On a one and two-year-old, those those things aren't there. I mean, they 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 just don't, they're not, uh, but the big thing I look at them is their back, their stomach, their long, long legs, and their face looks like a long pointed pencil. Uh, there is no triangulation to that face. It looks more like a face on a uh, wiener dog or something. I mean, it's just long and pointed. Yeah. Uh, it's not this big fat triangle that uh, like you see on an old mature buck. All right. What about a what about a three and a half year old then? How, three and a half year old. Yeah, three and a half year old, you start getting, uh, they're one of the toughest. You start getting, that's, that's a tough deer to start looking at. And what I like to do is, is especially on the hinds, there's a number of us. Uh, you got uh, Little Roy, Quattro, John, Schulte, the son-in-law. We're all talking about certain deer and saying, what is this, where does this deer fall in? Uh, and hopefully we've, that's why we're taking pictures and doing what we're doing in game cam and everything. Now they're doing it all, but I mean, you're trying to see that deer at one or two to where you can say, yeah, he is truly a three-year-old. But what you start noticing is again, that three-year-old, he's going to fall between that two and a half. That looks like a long gangly, uh, 13 year old kid and a 25 year old man. He's going to look like an 18 year old. If you think about a, a human being's body. His, he's starting to develop, uh, he's got more of a rounded rump and his, his back is still going to be straight. His stomach's going to be straight, but he's going to be again, a, a 20% bigger than that two and a half year old that's standing out there. His antlers, again, we don't use them as an aging criteria, but you're going to notice most three-year-olds or their antlers are going to be a, a little bit bigger and thicker than what you would see on that two and a half year old. So if he did have antlers and you, you're going to notice them, uh, but you're going to notice again that it, that the mass in them is not near what they're going to be at four and five years old and things like that. But again, I'm mostly looking at that back and that stomach. I'm looking at the fullness in that deer's body. 
and I'm looking at the fullness in his face. And a lot of this, when you start talking about aging by individual age, uh, because you'll hear people that'll say, well, I just don't believe it can be done. The best people that can do it are the people that are on the same property looking at the same deer over a period of time. Uh, It's really difficult to put an individual age on a deer. For me, somebody sends me a picture from Missouri and says, and they give me one year and one picture. And it's like, (laughs) I I don't live with those deer. I live with the Heinz deer. I live with the deer that are around my place. I've been watching them for years and years. I know what a three-year-old looks like because I've seen a lot of them that, you know, on their place. And I've seen when that deer hit the ground, ones that they wanted to take out of the herd early. And you look at those deer and it affirms what you're doing. Uh, so that's yeah. how, again, you, it's a, it's not an exact science. Occasionally you're going to make a mistake and the three-year-old's one that some mistakes get made on. Uh, yeah. A, a coastal Georgia three and a half year old is going to look a whole lot different than an Iowa, <clears throat> an Iowa or Illinois sure. three and a half year old. Sure. Well, even in Texas, I mean, you, you got South Texas, you got the hill country, you got the panhandle, you got East Texas, you got all these different regions that you can have variations in what those, you know, what those deer actually look like just flat out to begin with. I mean, you can have a hill country deer that's mature that weighs 80 pounds compared to a, a you know, 180 to 200 pound deer that's just an hour south of here. Uh, so, yeah, there are differences for sure. W- would you say the three and a half is the, the most difficult to age or to, to break out? I would I would say you know that it it is definitely one of the most difficult to break out. Sometimes when you're trying to look, uh, uh, you know, on a three year old, I would say that's probably the case. Yeah, I would. Yeah, for me it is. For me yeah, it is. I, I ask that because I know you know we do those age this and every week in our newsletter we have an age this and we put it in our magazine as well. But it always seems like that. People have the hardest time between that three and a half and four and a half uh, on our well, surveys. Now, now we cut it off at five and a half. You know, five and a half yeah. plus. We don't we don't get into six and a half, seven and a half. But and but, see, yeah. that's where we're fortunate because a three year old or a four year old, we're not even talking about anybody harvesting that deer. So for us, we you know it's a hey we're we're looking at it over time, and this is what we believe this deer is. And we'll put it on there and we're going to watch how he interacts with the other deer that he's with. And we're going to see how his body matures to the next year. And then so we get that break. Y'all are looking sometimes going, we're going to take that deer at four years old uh, because of the areas that you're in. And like I said, we're fortunate that we don't even have to make a decision until we know that deer's reached five years old. And so that's a huge deal. That's a huge uh, deal maker for us because when that deer hits five, there's a big jump from looking like a 25 year old man to looking like you're in your forties, you know, and, and that deer's body, he's going to have a sway in his stomach, a sway in his back. His hips are going to be, uh, you know, rounded. His neck is going to be much thicker and fuller. His, his head's going to be shaped like a fat triangle. And you look at him and go, yeah, that deer. So we're, we're trying to decide on the backside of that curve. Uh, but we know he's a fully mature buck. So that's why those three-year-olds can be tough, but we don't have to, we don't sweat it a whole lot because we, he's just going in the book as a three and a half year old and we're going to watch him. If he all of a sudden next year, because <clears throat> as you know, there's variations depending on when that fawn was born, uh, 
what the nutrition was that year, what time of year it was that somebody saw that deer. There's a lot of different variations in all that too. So, yeah. Now, now for our folks that are listening and uh, that participate in our age, this stuff, what, what would you recommend to them as far as breaking out that, that three and a half to four and a half? What, well, what's a four and a half gonna, <clears throat> gonna have different than, than what you've already described for a three and a half? Yeah. That four and a half year old deer's body is at its peak and prime. Like I said, it's like a 25 year old athlete's the way we describe it. His, and, and usually typically his hide is, is, is prime. I mean, that deer has no ripples on him. He's a muscular deer, real rounded hips. Uh, his back is still straight and his stomach is uh, basically straight. But he is, I mean, you're looking at a fully mature white-tailed deer. So four-year-old, you can look at that deer pretty easily and tell that that's a, a prime buck in his prime. And he's, he's a four-year-old deer. He doesn't have that sway in his stomach or sway in his back, but he's much bigger than a two-year-old or even three-year-old. Uh, and again, we're looking at how that neck joins the brisket. And I'm, I'm really looking at that tarsal gland on that four-year-old and that forehead gland. Uh, and usually by then we've got a, we, we pretty much know that I've, we photograph that deer at one, two or three. I, we do have deer that show up that we're like, who, where is this deer? And where did he come from? Even with helicopter surveys and all the other stuff that you do, there's still deer on 10,000 acres of brush country that can show up that you don't know. And you have to make that, that estimation on. But again, I like to show pictures. Pictures are so much easier. If you look in the book, you can easily see the difference in that a four-year-old and a three-year-old. And then there's a big jump from a four-year-old to a five-year-old. And these were deer that, like I said, the ones that I tried to put in there that were four, five, six, seven, we knew them over a period of years. So I wasn't just making, oh, this is the deer that I think. I'm showing you that's the deer. And look at his body. And and you can see those differences between those age classes. Right, right. You've, you've mentioned tarsal gland staining a couple of times now kind of uh, what would you expect to see i guess across the different age classes as far as that yeah and we show that in in you know it's not like there's any given rule i mean i talk about it and wrote about it that it, it's you start seeing a a three-year-old's gonna have a tarsal staining that's you know like the size of a uh a, a silver dollar or whatever and a uh a four-year-old that's going to go up a little bit bigger in a silver dollar. When they start reaching five and six, that that tarsal grain gland staining goes across the whole inside of the back leg. And at five, six, and seven, it's going all the way down the back of the leg during the peak of the rut. And it and then it can even start turning into that chloric staining to where it turns white and scalded looking. Uh, and you start seeing that in your six and seven-year-old bucks. And sometimes even in some eight-year-old bucks, we've seen it. Uh, I've even seen it on a handful of, of five-year-olds, but uh, in that forehead gland, it it literally looks like they're wearing a toupee on top of their head. I mean, and it's it's funny because when I first I started noticing that in pictures and asking people about it, people were like I don't know, they're just you know. And as we the the year that we were writing all this, Al calls me one day and he goes, "You're not gonna believe this. QDMA is doing a, a research right now." And they're calling that a forehead gland. There's actually glands under there that it's secreting when that deer's rubbing. And that's why it takes on that look like it's it's like when somebody mooses their hair today. Yeah. And it stands up, you know, and it has a different, darker look and all that. You look at a whitetail buck in October down here and that's, that, that hair is flat 
and there's nothing going on there. And boy, as you get into mid-November, as you start approaching the rut, uh, all of a sudden it looks like it's all mooshed up <laughs> and, you know, you can just, it takes on a whole dark, deep chestnut looking look and, but you're seeing it in your deer that are, are more active. And so we're saying those deer that are more active at those ages, it, it, we, it's easy to, to, to say that they're a more mature buck. And we noticed it, especially in those four, five, six, seven-year-old deer, and it gets more accentuated as they get older, just like that clork standing across the inside of their back leg. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I've never thought about that whole forehead gland thing as far as a, an aging tool, but then as soon as you started talking about it, I, I it came into my mind, I knew exactly what you were talking about, that that look of their their fur on the top of their head, like yeah. you said, that, that they have moose in it. That's a perfect description of, <laughs> of it. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Now you, you've, you've kind of touched on this a, a couple of times as we talked here, but, uh, behavior, what are some, I guess, behavior clues to, to an age of a, of a buck? Yeah. And we've got whole chapters on that. I mean, a whole chapter on that for specific thing because what you if you're watching deer uh out on a food plot i'm sure or if you're watching where there's uh, different bucks coming in from different age structure what you'll start noticing is uh, typically down here your young bucks show up first uh and then as it gets closer to dark your middle-aged bucks show up and finally right at dark and and what happens every time you've probably seen this you talk about the long stare and you see this deer look up, this buck look up and you can just watch that buck and he's going to tell you everything that's fixing to happen. I mean, he's telling you by his ears, by his tail and by his head posture, whether it's a predator, whether it's another buck or whether it's, you know, and by watching that deer, if his, if his hairy wrecks, you know, and stands out on end and we show pictures in the book that, of that, he's telling you there's another big buck coming. And if he, if he starts lowering his head and lowering those ears back, then he's telling you that, that, you know, those two bucks are in the same hierarchy. Okay. So a lot of times if we know an age on a certain buck and we see the, those kind of reactions, then we know those deer are similar in age or similar in the age hierarchy in that herd. You Now, a lot of times, and I've got one picture of it in the book because it happens so fast. And what happens is, is you'll see, uh, two bucks, a buck that'll start approaching, coming up towards another buck. And the one lays his ears back and starts walking towards the other deer. The other deer has his ears, uh, lowers his head just a little bit and his ears are forward. And I mean, within a fraction of a second, Brian, those two deer will avert their, their course and go back to feeding or going back to whatever they're doing. And a lot of people never catch that. They don't even realize that that younger buck saying, no, buddy, you're, you're right. You're the boss. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm moving on over here. And it, because it happens so subtly and so quickly as a photographer, I'm looking and I'm waiting for those two bucks that are actually approaching one another. And I, in the new updated edition, I put a two page sequence. It's the best showing of this I ever had. I, I've written about it. I've talked about it in seminars where I talk about two bucks approaching each other and they literally roll their eyes forward, looking at each other eye to eye, man, until they make contact. And it looks like you can see the white of their eyes from the side. And I got a picture of these two great bucks going right. And I was just at the right angle to catch it is what it was. Uh, but yeah, they walk in and 
when those both of them have their ears back and, and everything, I'm getting all set and got to be thinking in my mind, camera settings, and am I, do, I, do I have my shutter speed high enough to catch this action or am I going to have a blur in front of me, you know, <laughs> when I've taken the pictures? So those things are things I, I, I learned to key in on and observe. And so as time goes by, you look at it. And again, sometimes, you know, a particular, you, you may say, we've watched that buck for three years. We know he's a five-year-old. This buck that came in and averted with him, uh, averted a, a, a course of action with him, he's a younger deer. So we know he's not five. Occasionally, and like I said, nothing's ever written in stone. You can get a buck that's super aggressive. I've had one or two of those over the years that it's like, yeah, this buck is super aggressive. And he doesn't know that he's four years old and, <laughs> and you'll have, so there's always an exception to the rule, right. but you can learn a lot just watching how these bucks interact with one another and where they are in that age hierarchy. Yeah. Just another clue, I guess that, yes, you, it's, that you, it's, that's what you're doing. You are putting, you're making a chart of one, two, three, four, five of what, you know, what all adds up. And at the end of the day, you're going, okay, these criteria, he meets all these to be this. So you're right. It's just one more piece of the puzzle that adds. That's right. Well, obviously, doing what you do uh, as far as photographing these bucks, um, you know, all the way up through and beyond maturity, it, it you know, it's obviously pretty important that you're able to to get in close and stay in close with these bucks, be able to follow them, you know, throughout the season, throughout the years. Can you give us uh, the listeners some some tips as hunters on on how we can be able to do that that same thing i guess how are you able to to get in so close to these deer and and be able to you know photograph them throughout the season and and how can we take some of that knowledge and, and put it to use and as we go out there and hunt or or take photographs ourselves sure sure <clears throat> now and and you know the, the with any deer i tell people all the time that a deer trusts his ears I don't know, 50, 60, 70% of the time. I don't know what it is, but I know I get a lot. I get away with things with their ears. He trusts his eyes a certain percentage of the time. Uh, it, but there's times where he sees something, but I still get away with a movement or something like that. His nose, he believes that 99.9% .9 of the time, I think, maybe 100% of the time. You don't get it. He, if he smells you, it's done. He's He knows what you are uh, and that you're in his house, so he's gone. And so for big bucks, what I tell people all the time, that the, the things about photographing big deer is being able to get into your stand location undetected. Find those locations that will allow you to be able to get into that deer's bedroom <clears throat> without him knowing, excuse me, without him knowing that you are approached in there. Those are my successful, my most successful spots with big, big bucks. They're in an area where I can slip right over into an edge without disrupting a whole bottom in there or whatever, river bottom or creek bottom, and showing myself and getting my scent everywhere. That's 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 probably one of the best keys. And I go into those spots. Uh, if the wind's wrong on a spot, don't go there that day. you got to have multiple options. And I realize that some people on smaller properties, that's tough. I'm very fortunate. Uh, on the hinds, I got lots of spots that I can go and lots of targets that I'm after. And I've got multiple eyes that are watching for me and saying, we're seeing this here, we're seeing that there. So I've got other guys that are doing scouting for me 
uh, in helping me to, to know where that big buck is and that he is showing up. We got deer we won't see until mid-December. Uh, there was a buck two years ago. I never photographed this deer. Never. Uh, there's some of them it's taken me a couple of years to ever dial it all in to get on top of and get them. You know, this one buck, we knew he was going to show up sometime, and it, it, we called him the Christmas buck. He would show up about Christmas time, and he would be around for about two or three days with a doe in that area. And uh, But I, I never was able to figure out an approach, and I tried multiple different ways to get down in that area and undetected by that deer. So some of them you never outwit. I can't tell you how many big deer people – they don't realize they'll go into a setting uh, and they're seeing deer. Well, they're seeing those two and three year old deer. They'll forgive you. They're a more forgiving animal <laughs> than that five, six, seven year old buck that he's reached that age because he's really, really smart. Uh, he hears something wrong or smells something wrong. He just doesn't even come in. But scent and approach are the two key things to big whitetails, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, so how how do you manage, I guess, to to find these these deer again year after year? Do they tend to be in kind of the same spots at the same time of year every time? Or it, it, uh, and it, yeah, that's a neat question. Uh, and I talk about that with deer. That's the cover buck that the, they named him Stickers, uh, and <clears throat> that was what was one of the cool lessons I learned from that deer. Out of many many lessons I learned from him was that a deer's uh, area changes throughout the seasons because he would start off up about a mile and a half to two miles uh, up in one end of the ranch from where he would wind up during the uh, later fall. Uh, he would be in that first area all summer long, and he would stay up in there until about mid-September and then or, or late September. Early October, he shifted about a mile and a half to two miles to a new location. No reason he wasn't chasing those or doing anything at that point. And then when the rut hit, it was on. He could show up five, six, seven miles from where he normally would be. And he would be he would be gone for a month and a half from that last area. Uh, and on a ranch that size with all that brush country and everything, he'd be seen occasionally. But I rarely got photographs of him during that period of the rut. But when post-rut came, he would come back to where he was in early fall. So I could just count on it like clockwork. Uh, he would he would show back up in that area, and he would. Every year he did. And then as you went further into spring, towards summer, he would show back up there where he was the previous summer in early fall. So, yeah, deer will move at certain times of the year. Uh but again, I'm very fortunate in that I, for all these years, I've had the Hines who are, it's a, it's a working ranch. They're on the ranch 24 uh, seven with all their family and, and uh, guys that work there. And so I've been fortunate. They'll, they'll call me and say, Hey, we got a big buck. And, and I've been doing it for so long in so many places that they know what I need to do and how I need to do it. So it's it's really become a great relationship. It helps them because uh, they have photographs of some of their best, biggest deer, and they have photographs of young deer that they can put a pin and age on and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's a you know it's it's a benefit for both sides. And of course, I've just been truly blessed by their friendship. That's been one of the greatest blessings of all of it. 
having all those eyes out there watching. <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah. a big deal. Oh yeah. Now that that year to year consistency you saw with stickers, did that? I mean, did you see that with a lot of the other bucks as well? Oh yeah, they kind of be in the same places the same time of year. Yeah. yeah, well, and that's how I was able to build these agent sequences is because I would, you know, that was back in the day when you're shooting Kodachrome sixty four, and then we moved to Fuji uh, film uh, fifty Velvia. But I mean, I have files I could turn around and show you file cabinets over here of thousands of slides. And so wherever that setup was, I'd build a file for that setup. And I may have four, five, six bucks that are coming to that particular setup. And then all of a sudden, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years that you're building on that setup. And you can go back and some of the bucks are super easy. I mean, you got a buck with a double white throat patch or you got a deer with a cut ear. And as you know, from the time they hit about three years old, four, five, six, even their antlers are going to have a very similar conformation unless they get uh, have have something happen to them. So it's real easy to identify the same deer once you start having a record of pictures of them. They've got all of them have identifiable characteristics on them that you can identify. Yeah. Did, did you ever have a known buck show up somewhere and you're just like, what in the world are you doing here? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a deer. That's in the book. Uh, he scores 193. This was a deer that he had real amber eyes. And I tried to, he was the one I was talking about, one of the ones that uh, two years I tried to photograph this buck. And I was on him a couple of different times in the dark. I mean, I know it was him. He would be out there at 25 steps on my setup. And then all of a sudden, as it's just getting light and I could see his antlers and I'm just praying for the sunlight to give me enough light to photograph, he eases off in the brush and he's gone. <clears throat> well, that deer uh, was probably five, six miles from where his normal territory was. And I was actually, they had hunters on the ranch. So they were hunting a certain part of the ranch. It was right around Christmas time that year. And they had a hunter from Mississippi that hunted with them for years. Billy Patterson was hunting with them on the ranch. And I was going to go hunt a whole there was a big buck that they'd seen over by one of my setups. And I'm like, I'm going to be on that end of the ranch, not anywhere near y'all. Yeah, go have fun. Tell us what you see. We're trying to find Billy, this particular buck that, you know, we've been hunting him for, he'd been there for over a week and a half. And they, they it, it, he would hunt several bucks, but there was one really, really big buck that the, Billy was really hoping that he could find. And, uh, we all knew the buck because we'd all seen him at different times, usually at long distances through spotting scopes and everything else. And I'd never been able to get a picture and I'm sitting in the blind and it's literally almost dark and I'm fixing to put up my, my camera gear. <clears throat> and at that time I was photographing, uh, off of a sand, off of sandbags in some of these blinds, uh, cause I was down on the ground and it was just, they were the most stable thing. And this buck walked by at about 10 yards across in front of me and turned around at about 20 steps and just turned back and looked at me. And I was, my jaw just, I couldn't even believe it was him and he was there. I eased my camera back up on that sandbag. And again, I was, I was shooting Velvia 50, probably pushing it a stop. And I was praying every shot, Brian, just give me one, just give me one shot of this buck. <laughs> I got that roll of 36 back because he turned and walked off in the brush. I got that roll of 36 back and about 34 of those shots were tack sharp. I mean, he had just frozen. It was like, he, I'm going to, he just like, he just let me get his picture that evening. 
He's a giant 193. He's in the real unique tail pattern. I'll tell you what page he's on later, but uh, he had the most beautiful tail pattern. It was almost like a, a cream soda with black with white. There was no other tail of it. I've seen two other tails like that in my lifetime. But his antlers were these, you know, he's 22 inches wide, and he had like seven points on each side that were just just a massive, massive buck. And the kicker on that was is that I sent those pictures to Bill Reeves at Parks and Wildlife at the time, and he says, we're going to use that one as a cover. Uh, and he and he goes, but it's not because he's a book deer or anything like that. It's because he's got that spider web. And I didn't even see it that night, that evening. But when I got the pictures back, he'd had a spider that had built a web in between his brow tines, and the spider was right there in the middle of it. So they blew it up. And just the, he's looking dead on. Uh, and he's got this spider right between his uh, in in its web, but it's pretty cool, pretty cool. That yeah, that is cool, very cool. Now you've mentioned it a few times here, obviously, but you know you you co-authored a book with Al Brothers, uh, observing and evaluating whitetails. Uh, yes, sir. It's it's available in NDA's online store, and I believe you said there's a you know recently released an updated version. Can you talk a little bit about that? But a little bit about you know, what, what you'd expect to see in the book and kind of maybe what, what the updated version has. Yeah. What, well, in that book, uh, my original plan was it was going to be all about aging and judging deer on the hoof. Cause that was kind of what my, my thing was that I, and I talked to the Hines and, and asked them if they might, minded if I shared that information and they were very gracious said, no, if it helps other ranchers and land managers and all that and whitetail managers were all in for it. And so that's how it started. It grew into much more than that because of Al and QDMA and Dr. Larry Marchand and that and his chapter on deer physiology. And Brian Murphy has a chapter in there on uh, tooth wear and eruption, uh, aging deer by tooth wear and eruption. But it's a very heavy emphasis on aging and judging deer on the hoof. And, and uh, I've got <clears throat> 21 aging sequences in there that I tell you about the life of that deer and I show you an image of him each year and what we what I learned and what we learned. And then I've got another section in there on judging. There's 35 different bucks in there that I give you three different angles and I give you the score sheet on the deer, tell you what, exactly what he scored. Not that I think he scores 160, but that he scores 161 and two eights or whatever. What we guessed right and what we guessed wrong. Uh, so it'll help you be able to, to be able to judge deer on the hoof better. The new updated edition, again, I had some new aging sequences, uh, so I wanted to put them in there that were pretty unique. I had a really unique buck that I had followed since he was two and a half, and at five and a half, he showed up at one of the spots where he'd been the previous year, and uh, when he walked out, my jaw just dropped. I thought, what on earth has happened? He'd gone from this gorgeous, symmetrical 10-point that every year was making, you know, big jumps, big jumps. And the, and he had dropped about 30 inches of an antler size and he'd gone to this six by four. And the four, you could tell something was really haywire with it. Well, I started t- taking pictures of him. When we got, when we started looking at the pictures up close, we realized he had a, uh, he'd had an injury in the neck going up into his jaw that was probably a time late the previous year. And it had healed up. It was scabbed up still, but it mostly healed up. But it had drastically affected his antlers and his nutritional intake and his antlers and everything. 
And so the hind said, well, and he was six and a half that year, I believe. And they said, we're going to let him, or no, he's five and a half. They said, well, we're definitely going to let him go uh, and see what happens. He came back the next year uh, after going through that whole year and looked great. His body never had any problems or anything. Came back to be a 193-inch whitetail. Perfect 10-point again. was just phenomenal. So there's things like that. There's a buck in there that's in one of the new sequences that had a really white coat for one season. We talk about how I think that was something viral that was going on that affected affected probably through his nutrition, never affected his antlers. I've gotten a number of new bucks in the uh, judging section, like I said, that uh, including the Barrett buck, which was the Texas state record buck that scored over 300 inches. That uh, was a phenomenal buck that I got invited to come down and try to photograph on the, Me- the down near the Mexico border. And uh, that was, so when it came time to reprint the book, we got to looking at it and thought, you know, I've got some pretty, we got some pretty neat stuff here to update it. So let's do an update. So that's what we did. Yeah. Well, like I said, that that's available for anybody that's interested at the NDA store. You can go to deerassociation.com, click on the store and, and find that in there. And we'll, uh, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. So people can, can click that and check it out and uh, order them a copy. But, Dave, I've uh, had you on here for an hour now, so I'm gonna gonna wrap things up. But I, I sure appreciate you taking your time out today to talk to us about aging deer and uh, wildlife photography. And uh, I know I've I've enjoyed it immensely. Well, thanks, Brian. I've really enjoyed it too. Always love talking about whitetails, and really appreciate the opportunity to come on and visit with you. Yeah, yep, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll definitely have to have you back on again sometime to tell tell some more stories of some of these bugs. That'd be awesome. I'd appreciate it. All right, guys, that concludes our interview with Dave Richards. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and and several more. So about anywhere you could listen uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can become a member. And don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that. And, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.